I was getting ready to go to Bible study. It was 8.30. Actually, it was probably like 8.20. Getting ready to go to Bible study on Tuesday night, like I do every Tuesday night. So I'm heading out to the car in my garage. I get to my car, and I'm in a hurry, because I usually I help put the kids to bed, and then I'm rushing out to get there. And I find that my car is locked in our garage. And so this is like an ongoing thing in my marriage. Rachel's homesick today, and I didn't tell her I was going to share this, but she'll get over it. <clears throat> I got really frustrated. Because so I actually like you know growled and grumbled and was pretty ticked off, really pastoral heading to the Bible study, and I kind of let Rachel have it. I was like, "This isn't Akron. This isn't the ghetto. We live in Northwest Ohio. I've never locked the keys in the car ever. I, I I've never pulled the keys since I've had my license. Stop doing that. We live in a nice house." right? Claremont Street, it's a really quaint little street. Nice people. We know all our neighbors. We can trust them. Stop locking the keys or pulling the keys. Quit that. Will you quit? Well, I yelled at her. I'm super pastoral and I stormed off to the Bible study. <laughs> Just like a good pastor should. Literally the next afternoon, this was a couple years back, Jason um, Asherman was our worship intern. You probably remember him. He was on the keys, piano, drums, super gifted guy. He was here, he, and he came uh, the next day. It would have been a Wednesday afternoon. He comes in, and we came in to, I don't know, set up some new equipment that we'd purchased or something. And he says, hey, where's your car? I was like, it's where I parked it. It's where I parked it in front. He's like, no, it's not. Well, he's an intern, and more specifically, he's an intern under the direction of of that shady character that I talked about earlier, Wes Hoffmeyer. So I was like, okay, I'll roll with it. Right, real funny, my car's gone, let's go look for it in the parking lot. So we looked all around, we looked in the parking lot, we looked in the warehouse in the back, and we didn't find it. So I was like, funny guys. So I called the other two shysters that I know, Wes and Earl, <laughs> and then Caleb and Chad Stuckey, Nobody had seen my car. I thought about Char calling Charlie and Mike because they're shady characters as well and would do something like that. And I, we've got a lot of shady men at this church. <laughs> a lot of pranksters. Ask Charlie about what he did to his grandma sometime. It's hilarious. I'll let you tell that story. It was a good prank. Anyways, so I called all these guys thinking, you know, where's my car? We don't have your car. We didn't touch your car. And about that point, I started to like, get a, a sinking feeling in my stomach and realized that someone had stolen my car from the church parking lot. And so I did what you're supposed to do. I called the police. <clears throat> Captain Obvious shows up. Officer Obvious says, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have kept your keys in the car. <laughs> Thanks. That thought hadn't occurred to me. Right? So we go home and he writes up the whole thing. And I was pretty calm. He wrote it all up. He left. I was pretty calm through the whole ordeal. It's like, okay, it's just a car. Called my insurance company. I, it's, you've seen my car. It's the, the beautiful Buick out there, right? <laughs> People look at that. They're like, that's not a Buick. No, that's definitely a Buick. It's, it's the old Buick. or It's a Buick. So I have the minimum insurance on it, which turns out theft is not covered, especially if you leave keys in the ignition. Awesome. So I'm pretty calm through all of this until I realized that we had some place to go that evening and the only two car seats that we had owned at the time were in that car. 
And I was filled with so much rage in that moment. It was ridiculous. Very unpastoral. I storm out of the house, and we have these wooden pine doors. There are dents from my knuckles, seriously, in the pine door leaving our house. Not a pretty moment. Not a pretty moment. You see, I work really hard to provide for my family. I feel like we plan well. We, we, we save to make the big purchases. We budget. Our dollar, every dollar in our house has a purpose, like Dave Ramsey says, you know, all of this stuff. But I wasn't prepared to replace that car. It's only worth probably like $1,500. But to replace it is probably going to cost me like more like 8000 or 5000 or something like that, which, which I didn't have at, the, at that time. And I didn't have two to $300 either for car seats, or I felt, I felt like I did it. So I was really, really, really frustrated, really angry. And as we sat in the kitchen with my wife, kind of hanging out, talking about it, I remembered that rant that I went on the night before with my wife. It's kind of ironic, right? About not living in the ghetto, not living in Akron, all of that stuff. And the words of my junior high bus driver came into mind. You reap what you sow, Stooky. You reap what you sow. And I was thinking about that. I realized that I'd been overly harsh with my wife and overly naive about our quaint little community. Greed is something that lives not just in the ghetto of Akron. It's kind of all around us. It's all around us. And sadly, it lives in my heart as well. See, I was upset, and rightfully so. It stinks to be stolen from. It's the worst. It's, it's, you, you don't, I don't know if you, if you ever feel more violated in life than when something is stolen from you. But the part of me that punched that door, that was a pretty ugly part. That was a pretty ugly part. I think it revealed something pretty nasty in my heart, that I trust in money a lot more than I care to admit. It holds an unhealthy sway over me at times. And so this is what I want to talk with you about this morning. <clears throat> I want to look at the eighth commandment, which is Exodus 20:15, do not steal. It seems pretty simple, <clears throat> but as with all the other commandments that we've studied, you've probably noticed, it goes deeper than what is on the surface. And so firstly, I want to examine what exactly does the eighth commandment forbid? Secondly, why is it forbidden? And what's the antidote? How do we fix this problem in our hearts of greed? So I read a few authors this week on stealing, and they all say the similar things. They say stealing is taking that which does not belong to you. You say, thanks, officer. Obvious, right? Pretty obvious. But it's more than that. Colin Smith, a Scottish gentleman that I like to read occasionally, he says stealing is taking as much as you can while doing as little as you can. Or... Stealing is keeping as much as you can while giving as little as you can. That means, as Tim Keller helpfully pointed out, you can wrongfully take and you can wrongfully keep. Both are stealing. Now, we get the taking part, right? Armed robbery, hitting banks, shoplifting. Yeah, that's wrong. Ain't nobody going to argue with you on that. That's wrong. Now, this is why on face value, most of us think that we're good with this commandment, that we keep it. Actually, Kevin DeYoung said a poll from Barna, survey of all Americans, 
86% of Americans believe that they keep the Eighth Commandment, right? I didn't Bonnie and Clyde a bank this week, so I'm good. I didn't break that one. Now, most of you probably didn't rob a bank. Most of you probably didn't rob a bank this week. Some of you might have. That, that's possible. There could be someone here that, that's done that or maybe done that in the past. Probably not, though. However, I'm sure that there are people in here this morning that have broken and entered and stolen things. I'm sure there are people in here this morning that have shoplifted. Some of you are straight up thieves. And you know what? You're looking at one. You're looking at one. I've never hit a bank, but I have stolen, right? Kind of like little Q, when I was in second grade, I stole a Bernstein Bears book from my second grade teacher. Never returned it. I have no idea where it is to this day. I actually looked for it because I was going to take it back. Later in high school, I felt really convicted about it, but swiped that thing. Stole it. Now, some of you might, might give me, you know, the benefit of it out there or let me off the hook but, because I was little, but I've stolen other things that I'm not proud of. I wish it weren't true, but it is. I'm a thief. And actually, so are all of you. So are all of you. And some of you think, oh, wait a second, I don't steal. Who are you to say that, right? I haven't, I haven't done any of those things. Yeah, maybe not in the way that you're thinking, but we are all thieves. We've all stolen. We all do steal. So how so? Have you ever done as little as possible at work and collected a paycheck? Have you ever stolen from your employer that way? Stolen his time? Stolen his or her money? What about this? Are you an employer? Have you ever taken as much as possible from your employees and given as little as possible back? Upholding their pay, not paying them a fair wage, not sharing the profits of your business? You've stolen from your employees. I'll notice the employee needs to work hard here. If they do the work, then the employer is obligated by God to pay them fairly and share the profits. But if they're lazy, then, then maybe not so much. They're, the employee's stealing, right? Laziness is theft. But so is stinginess, keeping that which rightly belongs to others. Stinginess in wages, profit sharing, that can be theft. You can see, we're kind of in trouble here. We're in trouble here. Does your employer pay you to look at Facebook? Is that in your job description? Probably not. Have you ever... Looked at Facebook on company time? You ever padded an expense account? Stretched a break longer than what you're supposed to? Left early? Shown up late? You're a thief. Ever taken credit for something that wasn't rightfully yours to take? You're a thief. Plagiarized someone else's words? Had someone else do your homework? Thief. Ever snuck into a movie theater for a second showing? Return something to the store after you purchased it, wore it. Pirated music, shows, movies, books. Ah, oh, that's only what the sinful people do, right? We don't do that stuff. Now, the Eighth Commandment is primarily about property and possessions, but we can steal more than just those things, as I've just referenced. We can steal time. We already talked about that with being an employee. We can also steal time from our family. Overworking, being a workaholic. You're stealing time from your kids, from your spouse. We can steal spouses too. It's called adultery. 
We can steal intimacy. J.D. Greer, pastor I really like to listen to, he says it like this. He said, you ever lead a girl or a guy on just because you like the way it made you feel? You had no intention of marrying that person. You just wanted to use them to make yourself feel wanted and less lonely. So you flirt with them, you lead, you lead them on. You've stolen from that person. You've stolen their time, time that they could, been, could have been investing into another relationship that actually had the prospect of marriage. Perhaps you've stolen their spirit. You've stolen their emotional capital. Or how about Malachi 3.8? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. This is a touchy one. And some of you say, well, wait a second. That's the Old Testament. You're right, it's Malachi. It's the Old Testament. Jesus came and he, he did away with the Old Testament. Right? We're not under the old law anymore. It's all... It's all done because of Christ. And I would say, not true, actually. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He affirmed it, and he fulfilled it. But more than that, he never did away with the tithe, giving 10% of what you make back to the Lord. He never did away with that. You see, when Jesus speaks about giving, he never condemns the tithe. He never commands it either. He kind of assumes that his followers will be giving to the Lord. You say, well, okay, Jesus, he didn't say about it, he didn't say anything about it, he didn't condemn it, he didn't command it either. What about Paul? Well, Paul talks about giving in 2 Corinthians 8. You say, when he talks about giving there, he never commands that we give a tenth. He doesn't command that we give any specific amount. I would say you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't. Paul didn't command us to give a tenth. Instead, he instructs the Christian to give radically, eagerly, generously, proportionately, that means percentage, and systematically, without setting a limit on one's giving. You see, Paul didn't command a tithe because he wanted the Christian to give radically and not have a limit on the amount that they could give. You see, here's the deal. If you search the scriptures for yourself, and I would ask you to do that, see what God has to say about giving, and you'll find you'll find that he's less concerned with the numerical figure and more concerned with our hearts on the matter. Why is it that tithing is such a frowned upon concept in the church? I know we, we say a lot when, when, we, when we pray about the offering, we're not after your money, and we're not. We're not after your money here. The people who come here and call Crossroads Home do a great job of supporting our budget, paying for the missionaries that we support, praying for the ministries, the youth ministries, everything that goes on here. They do a fantastic job. So we're not after your money, okay? And God's not after your money. It has to do with our heart. It has to do with our heart. Why are we so frustrated with this? My guess is that we're frustrated with having that number, the tithe, right? We're frustrated with that. We don't want that put on us. I think we're frustrated with that not because we don't want our giving to be limited to just 10%. Chances are, if you're frustrated that I'm talking about this right now, it's because maybe you're in debt and or you want to justify being stingy with your money and spend it on yourself. And that's the issue. The Bible says is your money isn't your money. It isn't your money. You see, as a Christian, we're not owners. We're stewards. We're stewards. Imagine that someone saw that you were kind of less fortunate, they had a bunch, and they said, I want to give you $10,000. I have a lot. 
I have a lot. The Lord's blessed me. I'm going to give you $10,000. The only thing I ask is that you would take a thousand of that, a tenth, and give it to someone else in need. Give it to a charity. Pay it forward. And you say, wow, thanks. You didn't have to do that. That's awesome. But I'm not giving that. You gave this to me, and I'm just going to do whatever. I, no, I'm not, I'm not giving that away. Would the owner of that money have a right to be upset with you? Yeah, he would. He would. He would. By keeping back what you were asked to give, you've become a thief. You've become a thief. You see, stealing is not just wrong taking. It's also wrong keeping. So let me ask you this. Do you give generously? Do you give proportionately and systematically to God? Maybe you're not there yet, but you desire to get there. Church, this is one of the reasons why we offer financial peace. It's not to get in your, to get in your pocketbook. It's because I know so many of you would love to, to give generously, but you've structured your lives in such a way that even if you wanted to, you're just in a mountain and a heap of debt, which stinks. And so you want to give, you have the right heart but you're just in a spot right now where, where you can't do what you know you should do, what you desire to do, and so we want to help you with that. Not so we can get in your pocketbook, but so that you can experience the freedom that God has for you. He doesn't want you to be a slave to the lender. We want you to be free. And also the joy that living generously is. It is. It is a joy. You see, I know we get, we get touchy about this issue, but listen to John Piper when he talks about the logic that we use when we talk about the tithe. Some of us will say, well, well, Jesus doesn't command this anymore. He doesn't command a tenth. And so to show my freedom, I'm only going to give 2.5%. That's what the average American gives in America. It's 2.5%. This church actually does way better than that. I calculated what the average giving was. I don't know what people give specifically, but I kind of know generally. And based on the household income, the average household in here gives around five or six percent, which that's awesome. That is so awesome. So I don't want to, I don't want to act like we're not doing well here. We are doing well as a church. So good job. But some of us will say, well, God doesn't command anything specific. And so to show my freedom, I'm not going to give anything. I'm just going to give the little bit possible. Piper says that would be like saying, well, well, I'm not commanded to kiss my wife or tell her I love her every day. So I'm only going to do it once a week. I'm not commanded to play with my kids after work for an hour. So I'm just going to do it to show my freedom. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it on Tuesday night for, for five minutes, right? That doesn't make any sense. There's no law saying that I should give 10% in, in the New Testament. Christ has bought this freedom. And so to show that freedom, I'm just going to give the bare minimum. Does that logically follow? Jesus came and died on the cross. He paid an astronomical debt for your and my sin so that we might have life and to say thank you, right, for the internal, eternal inheritance that he's given us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give less than what was required of the Old Testament believer who didn't know Christ, who didn't, be, who didn't have the benefit of experiencing his lavish grace poured out on the cross. Does that make sense? So well, well, giving's not like kissing my wife. Giving's not like paying, playing with my kids. Giving stinks. To that, I would say, why don't you test that? Why don't you test that? It has been my experience that it is far better to give than it is to receive. Jesus said it. The Bible says it all over. I've experienced personally. I know there are countless other members in here who would say the exact same thing. 
It is more joyous. You will be more happy if you give away, if you live with radical generosity. You say, why? Kent Hughes says it like this. He says, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Generosity is an ongoing act of tearing down the idol of money in my heart. Some of you are slaves to money this morning. I am one of those persons that struggles with that. And that's why my wife and I sit down every year, we look at what's coming in, and we pick a percentage, and we give. We give because I know how much the Lord has given me, and because I'm scared of what would happen to my heart if I didn't. I do this, and it even creeps up. It's ugly. I punch doors when people threaten to take that God of money away from me. That's why we give. So we've covered what's forbidden. Now let me ask this question. Why? Why is stealing forbidden? Well, the reason it's forbidden is because God wants to protect our human dignity as image bearers and caretakers of the world. You see, God gave each human in here, every single one of us, he gave us the right to personal property, right? So we don't need to get in, into capitalism versus communism, anything like that. But I do think the Bible is for personal property. There are all kinds of laws all over the place protecting personal property. So God gave us a right to personal property, to have personal possessions. And he also gave us a responsibility to care for those things, to steward those things. Way back in Genesis, God made the whole world and he set us up to be in charge of it. That means that when someone steals from you, it's an offense to your God-given responsibility to care for what you were called to steward. It's a part of what makes you human. It's a part of what makes, it, makes you human. That's why, that's one reason why it feels so violating to be stolen from. As Keller puts it, he says, being stolen from depersonalizes you and it dehumanizes you. It robs you of your stuff and your dignity as being created in the image of God. It's as if we're being told that we're less than human. We're unworthy of that which God has given us a right to. It's kind of hard to put in words, but those of you who raised your hand earlier and said that you've been stolen, you know what I'm talking about. It's infuriating. It's, the worst, it's one of the worst feelings in the world. It's incredibly violating. And this is part of the reason why I think I punched that door. It's not the only reason. But when I realized that these thieves had taken not only my car, my means of transportation to get to and from work, they'd, they'd taken my means of providing for my family away in a significant way. They also took away my ability to protect my kids by stealing the car seats that were in, those car, in, the, in that car. God called me as a husband to provide and protect for my family. When they stole my car, both of those things were threatened. That's one of the reasons why I was so infuriated. How, how could you do this to me? Didn't, don't you know how hard I work? Don't you, don't you know how much I care about my job, my responsibility to, to love my wife, to care for my kids, to, to pastor this church? Don't you know how much I care about this stuff? They didn't know, and they didn't care. They saw a car with keys in it, and they decided that the person who owned that car wasn't worth anything. They had more of a right to it than I did. I wasn't even worth considering in that moment. They were better somehow. 
See, God says don't steal because he wants to protect us. He doesn't want us to work hard and have nothing to show for it. God says don't steal so that we'll have the ability to be dignified, to be respected by everyone else, to be able to earn a fair and honest wage and keep and care for that which he entrusts to us. Economists have no idea how to quantify what would happen if people started keeping the Eighth Commandment. No idea. They say the average employee steals about two hours a day from their employer just through being lazy and wasting time, taking longer breaks, that kind of stuff. Think about all the things that we pay for to protect us against theft. Much of credit card fees go to pay people to track down credit card fraud. In New York City alone, there's fraud, bid rigging, theft. It's said to add 25% on the top of cost of living. That's one of the reasons why it's so expensive to live there. 25%. The conservatives here might like to talk about trickle-down economics. Okay, we can talk about that. Think what would happen. Think about how much our economy would be boosted if everyone just kept the Eighth Commandment. It'd be amazing. It would be great to put some type of policy in place that would help us keep this commandment. Actually, we've tried. This is one of the reasons, if you look up the law code, the tax code, the laws, they're like, we don't even know all the laws that we have because we have so many of them. Right? We have tried to legislate. We have tried to make laws, put things into place that will make people more moral, that will have, make them walk with more integrity. How's that working for us? Right? We need another president. We need another law. We need, how's that working for us? What's the antidote to this problem? Obviously, it is not public policy. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have it. But I'm saying the problem goes much deeper than that. Why do we steal in the first place? Why is it that we steal? I think we steal to get happiness, to get security. We steal because we worship money and possessions. J.D. Greer says it like this. He says, the definition of idolatry, a god or idol, is anything that we think we have to have to be happy and secure. So we worship stuff and money and our reputation, and we steal. We'll steal recognition We'll steal money, we'll steal stuff, we'll steal time, we'll steal whatever. We'll sacrifice our integrity at the altar of the almighty dollar and the American dream because we believe that those are what we need to be happy and secure. See, it's a heart problem. That's why policy is never going to cure us. Ironically, when we hear the words of Jesus on this, Jesus doesn't show up, he doesn't, he doesn't say, you know what your problem is? You guys crave happiness and security. Just stop that. Just, just quit. Just quit doing that. That's not what Jesus says. Actually, he incentivizes us to pursue happiness and security, to pursue stuff. You say, wait, what? Yeah, he does. He says, you all, you all are working down here for all of this stuff, and moths eat your clothes, and rust can corrodes all your cars and your fancy stuff. You're working for stuff down here, and it's getting stolen. Thieves break in and steal. Rust corrodes it. Moths eat it up. He says, I got a better deal for you. 
Don't stop working for happiness. Don't stop working for security. Don't stop working for that stuff. Work for treasures in heaven. Work to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The moths can't get it. The rust can't corrode it. Thieves can't steal it. It's safe and secure in heaven. You got roads leading to your house that are paved with gold that never need to be repaved. Don't stop working for happiness and security. Start looking to me to provide it for you. See, Jesus knows that we desire happiness. He knows that we crave security. He doesn't rebuke us for that. He doesn't rebuke us for that. Instead, he points us to where we can actually find what our hearts are craving. See, money will never satisfy these longings. J.D. Rockefeller, when it asked, how much is enough? Just a little bit more, right? Only Christ can satisfy you. Christ offers abundant life, never-ending joy, paradise in heaven, even to us thieves. Even to us thieves. See, as Jesus hangs on a tree, cursed and condemned for for us, you and me, thieves. There are two other thieves hanging next to him. One of them shouts out to Jesus, hey, if you're really the Christ, if you're really God, then why don't you get yourself down off this cross and take us with you? If you really are who you say you are, then do something. Why are you just waiting here? Do something. And the other thief, the other thief rebukes this man. He says, don't you fear God? We're being punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. And then turning to Jesus, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Sorry, no can do. There's no place for thieves in my kingdom. You see, we're not a gated community. We don't have locks. We don't have, ge- we don't have gates. We can't trust thieves up there. No, that's not what Jesus said. What did he say? He said, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. All the stuff, all the happiness, all the security you've been searching for, all the stuff you've been trying to gain through stealing, the paradise that your heart is longing for, that you've been working so hard to get, that you've been willing to steal for, all of that you're going to partake in today with me because you trust me, because you believe I am who I say I am. Church, this is why we shouldn't steal because in Christ we've been given so much more. So much more. See, the antidote to stealing is receiving the abundance of Jesus and then giving out of gratitude, radically, generously, from a place of thanksgiving. See, if you know how much you've been given in Jesus, you won't need to steal. You won't need to steal. You'll instead give radically, generously. Paul explains it a bit more practically in Ephesians. If you go through and read Ephesians, it starts out, starts out and he says all of this stuff, in Christ, in Christ you're adopted, in Christ you're predestined, in Christ you're renewed, in Christ you're saved, in Christ you have an eternal glorious inheritance coming your way, in Christ you have been blessed, 
In Christ, you are rich, been made rich on every occasion. In Christ, you have all that you need. See, he goes on and on. In Christ, in Christ, you have all of this. And then he says, because of what you've been given, Ephesians 4.28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You see, Paul is practically fleshing out the eighth commandment. He says, once you've received what Christ has given you, the antidote is to give. It's to give. Receive what Christ has given you and then give freely. Don't cling to any possession. Don't cling to your money. It's not yours. It belongs to God. Now, he's gracious. He doesn't say, here, I'm going to give you 10%, you give 90, right? No, that's not what he says. He says, I've given to you freely. You give freely also. Pray about it. Pray about it. See, I don't think it's over, overly simplistic to say you're either a thief or you're a radically generous person. I think that's what Ephesians 4.28 is telling us. If you're a follower of Christ, you're either a thief or you're a radically generous person. You're not somewhere in the middle. You can't be. There's no middle ground. And church, this is why I was so disappointed with my first response at, at having my car stolen, right? Punching stuff in rage is pretty unbecoming of a Christian, let alone a pastor. Not only that, it revealed that money holds an unhealthy place in my heart. It wasn't wrong to be offended. We talked about why we're offended. It violates our, our human dignity, right? But the way I responded was unhealthy and revealed that money held an unhealthy place in my heart. I recognized this on my way to Walmart to purchase those car seats. And I did what all Christians should do daily. I repented. I acknowledged my sin before the Lord. I whined to him first a little bit, right? God has broad shoulders. We can talk freely. I cried out to God, God, someone took my car. That's unjust. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I serve you every single day. How could you let this happen? So I whined, right? I whined a little bit. I did that. And then I said, okay, this is your problem. I don't trust in my pocketbook as much as sometimes I do. That's not where my trust is. I'm shaken, I'm frustrated, but you are my provider. You are the one who takes care of me. That car was yours. Somebody stole from you. So, here's the deal. I either need a new car or some money to buy a car. And then I prayed. I said, Lord, would you heap so much guilt and conviction and condemnation on that thief that they bring my car back? And then... I went in and turns out I had enough money in my bank account, more than enough, to buy two more car seats. And I went home in peace. And I'll be honest with you, I slept like a baby that night until four in the morning. Officer, Officer Obvious called me. He said, hey, we found your car. Where is it? I said, the church, come get it. I came to the church. It was parked in the exact same spot that I got taken from. Nothing was taken. The car seats were still in there. A little gas was gone was all. The police officers were like, nothing's gone? I, said, I don't think so. They're like, what? You sure you don't know who took it? I said, yeah, I, I really have no idea. All the pranksters that I know, I called all of them. They didn't, I don't know. 
like, we cannot figure this out. I said, well, gentlemen, she said, let me tell you what I prayed 12 hours ago. I laid it out for him. I told him exactly what I prayed. I prayed that the Lord would either provide money for a new car or have them bring this one back. I said, I don't know what you're going to chalk this up to. I'm going to chalk this up to answered prayer. I'm going to praise God for it. That my car got borrowed, not stolen. Right? See, here's the deal. In Jesus, you're not protected from suffering. You're not protected from being stolen from. And I'm not saying if you pray that your car or whatever is always going to come back. It might not. It might not. But you can trust and you can know that you have a heavenly father who loves you so much that you don't have to lose sleep over it. He will take care of you. He will. Sometimes miraculously. That makes police officers scratch their head. And here's the cool part. Right when that happened, I said, that'll preach. That'll preach someday, and it will. I've told this story I don't know how many times. I've told it in sermons before. This is an awesome story. It's a testimony to how much our Heavenly Father cares about us. He cares that someone took my piece of crap car, and he gave it back to me, right? I was kind of hoping I'd get a new one out of it, to be honest with you. (laughs) But it still runs, and I still drive it, and I'm thankful for it. Church, don't steal. Don't steal. Why? Because the Creator... The provider of the universe loves you and he gave his life for you. You don't need to steal. If you're walking in Christ, you've been blessed with every blessing. You have an eternal inheritance. So don't steal. Work hard with your hands. Work hard. There's dignity in work. Go to work if you're able. And if you're not able, figure out how to contribute some other way. Contribute. Use your gifts from God to be productive to contribute to the world, to your neighbor. Work hard so that you have something to give to those in need. Don't sneal. Find your happiness and security in Christ. And out of gratitude, give radically, generously, proportionately, and systematically to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, just going to be honest, we don't understand oftentimes how much we've been given in Christ Jesus. Sometimes the circumstances of life feel like we've been cheated. Sometimes, Lord, we're super hard on ourselves. Sometimes we, we don't sense your presence. Sometimes we, we can't wrap our minds around your goodness, how much we've been given. And so, by the power of your spirit, would you break through those walls that we erect, that our enemy erects? You would break through those walls, that you would tear them down, Lord, and help us to receive what we've been given in Christ. I pray that your truth would reign louder than the lies our culture tells us about what we're entitled to, about the lies that we tell ourselves about how much we've been cheated out of. I pray that for the Christian we would know the abundance, that we would sense the abundance and experience the abundance of knowing Christ personally. Father, would you drive the idol of money from our hearts? Help us to trust in you. Help us to find our security in you alone to keep us from stealing, Lord. We don't want to be thieves. We want to be known for radical generosity. Help us order our finances in such a way that we're free 
For those that are in debt, Lord, I pray that you would help them. Help them work. Give them promotions at work. Bump their wages. Help them steward what you've entrusted to them in such a way that they could climb out of that hole and experience the freedom that you have for them. Help us all be as generous to others as you are as generous as you are generous to us in Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.